0: Well, I want to welcome you today. We're kicking off a brand new teaching series here at South Bay called Next. If you're just joining us, those of you who are online, we're glad you're with us. All of you at our Sunnyvale campus, let's give it up for Sunnyvale and South San Jose. We should cheer for them too. And uh, we are one church in multiple locations spread across. I don't know if you know this or not, but we have nine services in three locations right now, which is a lot to coordinate. And uh, that means that it requires about 300 people every single weekend to pull off this gig, and we have some amazing members of our Dream Team that serve. That's our team that serves every weekend. So if you're a part of that team, we just want to honor you and give it up for you, for your faithfulness. We're so grateful for those of you who hold babies in nursery and get puked on every week and pour into the lives of the next generation and production crew that press buttons and make things work. We're so grateful for all of you. Today we're kicking off this series, uh, Wrestling through the question, what's next? What's next for us personally? What's next for us as a church? And that's a really important question. You know, I think a lot of us, we live our lives with our head down. We kind of are in the tyranny of the urgent. We spend so much of our time working in our lives, but not working on our lives. There's a big difference between working in your life versus cooperating with God with your head up, working on your life. So this series is really an opportunity for us to ask the question, what's next? I want to encourage you these next four weeks to to pray, God, show me what's next for my life. Show me what's next for my engagement and involvement with this church. And for you and I, it's important that we take those next steps. See, the journey spiritually really involves two major things. One is we need to be content with where God has us and what God is doing in us right now. But also we need to press towards the future, to look towards the future. And we can have a sense of security, knowing that the things that God's done in the past, he'll do in the future. And knowing the things that have been valuable and important to God in the past will also be valuable and important to God in the future. Because there's a set of purposes or uh, really initiatives or ideas of what God wants to do in every one of us, regardless of our season. So we're gonna look at those four things over these next four weeks with next. And the first this week, we're gonna look at what does it mean to know God? And how can you take your next step in the pursuit of knowing God. We have people who are new to faith. This is their first time in church. Welcome. So glad you're here. Make sure he buys you lunch after the service. And we're going to take some steps in that pursuit for people who are new to church. Also for those who've known Jesus for a long time, we're going to learn how do we know God more. Next week, we're going to come back and talk about finding freedom. So much of our lives oftentimes is lived in bondage, but God As we have looked even today through the music, God wants to liberate us and he wants to help us be free. We're going to talk about how that happens. The third week, we're going to look at discovering more of our purpose. There's a part of who you are that God has made with your gifts and talents that nobody else can fulfill that unique destiny or purpose on planet earth that you fulfill. So we're going to talk about that in week three and then week four, we're going to come back and we're going to look at how do we make a difference. How do you and I specifically leverage all those gifts to make a difference on planet Earth? And it's gonna be a great series. At the end of it, we're gonna have what we call Commitment Day, and our church is gonna be making a commitment over the next three years our commitment to the vision that God has given to us. That's November 13th, and we're gonna encourage you to be back for that. If you haven't heard about that, you can go to our Connection Center at all of our campuses and get more information and also online about this initiative called Next that God is leading us towards. But today, i will to start off by talking about knowing God. That brings up a very important question. How do you know somebody? I mean, you know, we all have people in our lives that we know really well and people we don't know as well. And the people that we know well, we have a different kind of relationship with them. So in order to get to know somebody, there's certain things that you do. Sometimes there's kind of hoops that you have to jump through. You you go out to coffee together. You have meals together. You spend time together. And you get to know that person. And then hopefully over the course of time, as you get to know somebody, you get to know what's important to them. You get to know their interest. You, you start to build this relationship that's reciprocal. You know them, they know you, and there's this mutual relationship that is hopefully over the course of time growing. That's how we get to know people. But it's a little bit different with God, right? Because it's not like you can go sit down with God on Monday morning for a cup of coffee at Phil's Coffee, right? And of course, you'd go to Phil's if you did go with God, not Pete's or Starbucks. You'd go to Phil's Coffee with God. Um, cause God, you know, there was a servant of Jesus named Philip. So Phil's, it just makes sense. Actually there was a Pete too. So Pete's and Phil's better than Starbucks. But, um, so, so you, you can actually go on Monday morning with Jesus to, to Phil's. Now there's a sense in which you can connect with God, but the tangible relationship with God, how do you get to know somebody that you can't actually physically see right now and that you can't touch? It brings up a really important question. Well, When you can't see them, you can't touch them, what do you do? How do you get to know them? You follow them on Instagram, right? Right? When you want to get to know somebody, you start following them. Now, I would like for you to know that I know Taylor Swift. Did you guys know that? Actually, let me tell you a little bit more about this. Now, a couple years ago, um, Stacy loves Taylor Swift, so we went to a concert and we sat down in like the sixth or seventh row, somebody hooked us up with some great tickets. We got, we got to go see Taylor Swift. And there was this one point in the concert and Taylor Swift came over to my side of the concert and looked right at me. And she said, I just love you. And I was like, is she talking to me right now? This is unbelievable, she loved me. And then right after that, she comes out and she goes, you guys are my favorite of all the places i've ever been i just love you guys and you guys are my favorite so now i feel like this personal connection with taylor swift and then i started following her on instagram and i got to know her even more i feel like we're really connected because like i know her cat's name it's pretty cool and i know what she ate for lunch and i know like you know the different outfits that she chooses to i know Taylor Swift, it's unbelievable. Y'all don't think this is funny as the last service did, but, but I know her. Now, if I went up to her house this week and said, I know Taylor Swift and I need to see her, guess what? I'm leaving with my hands behind my back in handcuffs because it doesn't matter how much I know her. I know about her, but I don't know her. And she's like, get out of here. See, it brings up a very important point. There's a difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody personally. See, a lot of times in our lives, we have this understanding of God. We know about God, but we don't know him personally. Did you know that the creator of the universe has created you not just to know about him, but to know him personally? Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11 says it like this. He, talking about God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity inside the human heart Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. That means that with God and creation, there is a sense of both beauty and mystery. You can walk outside and see sunsets and beautiful mountains, and there's a beauty, but there's also a mystery to how it all happens. But one thing is for sure, Solomon is saying, that there is a part of the human heart that nothing in this world can fill that there's no amount of money, no amount of sex, no amount of drugs, there's no relationship that could ever fill that hole inside of you and inside of me that was created there by God, to know him personally. So today I want to deliver a message to you. God made you so that you could know him. God made every facet of who you are and every component of your life so that you and I could connect with him on a personal level and have relationship with him. And y'all, that's really good news. That your creator wants for you to know him. But the question is how, right? It's like, I gotta go to work on Monday. And I got that annoying coworker that won't respond to my email. And I have these kids I have to deal with. And I, students, I have a teacher, can I get an amen, that, that, that is making me turn in assignments and breathing down my neck. And I, I just, I, I got all this stuff in my life that is warring against me actually knowing God. So how do I actually know God who I can't see, that I can't touch, but you tell me he wants me to know him? What does a personal relationship with God and knowing him actually look like in our lives? That's what I wanna talk about today. If you have a Bible, I wanna encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 17, and we're gonna start in verse 16. Now, let me set the context of this story before we jump into it. Paul, who's the main character in the story, he was obsessed with people knowing God. I mean, you can look at his life. He was so obsessed with helping people know God that he actually eventually would lose his life for it. In fact, it, it probably was so personal for him because there was a time when he didn't know God. You know, sometimes if you've grown up in church and your whole life, it feels like you've known God. There's, there's a difference between somebody who comes from the bottom level of life at, about to lose their life and God intervenes on their behalf. And Paul was like this. Because for Paul, he was a persecutor of Christians. In fact, he thought he knew God, but he was doing everything he could to get people to stop following Jesus. And one day Jesus shows up and he blinds Paul and says, hey, stop persecuting me. And Paul's like, who are you? Jesus says, it's me, Jesus. In fact, as you persecute my church, you're persecuting me. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back into the town where you came from and I want you to start telling people about me. And Paul does a 180. So the rest of his life is consumed with helping people know God. And he got to this place where he would go from town to town to town to town teaching people about Jesus, helping people know how to know God. And on one particular occasion, he goes into a town and he's persecuted really bad to the point of death. And all of his followers that are hanging out with him are like, you need to go, you need to get out of here. So they put him on a boat and they send him to the next town, several hundred miles away from where they were. So Paul goes to this next town, and lo and behold, the town that Paul ends up in is a town called Athens. And we're going to see a story today of Paul hanging out in Athens. Now, let me make the point about Athens it's really important. Athens, in the first century, came from this historical place of greatness. In fact, you probably studied about Athens in school, or maybe you're studying now. It was really the foundation of Greek mythology. And in Athens were all of these gods that the Greeks would worship. But the Romans came in, and when the Romans came in, they destroyed Athens. And in the first century, when Paul arrives into Athens, it's a city in destruction. But in chapter 17, verse 16, it says that when Paul got there, it says, while he was waiting for them in Athens, he's in a transition mode right now. In fact, it's easy oftentimes in life when you're in a transition mode to forget that there's purpose to your transition. And most of us, when we're in transition, are trying to figure out how to check our Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and respond to emails. But Paul, when he's in transition, realizes that he's there for a purpose. And it says, while Paul was waiting, he wasn't just waiting though. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that this city was filled up with idols. So it wasn't just that the city was in destruction, but it was on top of the fact that the city was in destruction. All their buildings had been taken down. They had somehow, the Athenians who had Hermes and Zeus and all these Greek gods, they had somehow been able to start rebuilding their city, but really not rebuilding the buildings, but rebuilding all their idols that they worshiped. And Paul, when he sees it, sees it differently. He sees it through a lens of spirituality. And he realizes that there's way more to the situation than what meets the eye. So, you know, if, if you and I will actually allow God to work in our hearts in such a way that we will look at life through a spiritual lens, things will begin to shift. So often for me, and I think for most of us, we spend the majority of our lives only thinking about that which is Physical thinking about how to pay the bills, how to get to work, how to get our schoolwork done, how to, how to not get in a fight with our sibling. We have all these things that we're trying to manage that are purely physical. But Paul, when he steps into Athens, he's got spiritual eyes on the situation. And he walks around and he sees all of these idols and the scripture says that he is greatly distressed. Not just like a little bit frustrated, but overwhelmed and broken over the reality of what's happening in Athens, which brings up a really important question. Why was Paul so distressed about all of these Athens? He's Jewish, these people are Greek, they're they're not Jews. Why is he so overloaded and overwhelmed by their predicament spiritually? Because as he looks at the situation and sees it with spiritual eyes, he recognizes the fact that all of these idols which have been created by the Athenians, are not just a bunch of stone and gold and silver that they've created to worship their false gods, but they are evidence of the human design of what's deep within our hearts as human beings. That there is this implant or imprint on on the heart of every single human being for adoration and worship. That's why like when you watch Raiders fans and they win a couple of games, they go crazy because there's something inside of us that loves and longs to worship and to celebrate, even if it's a 350-pound guy running up and down the field. We, we love it. We, that's why at Taylor Swift concerts, people are going crazy and cat outfits and stuff. It's because it's there's this part of us that we're created to worship. So we'll find objects Do we can throw our affection at, and it doesn't have to be something that's stone or gold. It can be anything other than God being first place in our lives. And Paul recognizes that this process of worshiping these foreign idols that they created, that they're holding up with their human hands, is not going to be able to hold them up when times get bad. And they can keep trying and pushing to shove into that place something other than God, but it's only going to lead to great brokenness and distress. I remember being in high school as God was calling me into ministry and having all these friends that I hung out with and spent time together. And then on our senior spring break trip, people from Michigan, that's where I grew up, they go to Myrtle Beach for spring break. I don't know why. If you're from the Midwest, I think Myrtle Beach is a little bit like Branson, Missouri meets the ocean. It's just like a bunch of lights. If you were from the Midwest, you would get that. But since you're from the West Coast, it's like Lodi meets the beach. I mean, that's just kind of the best way to explain it. And um, all of my classmates went to Myrtle Beach for spring break. And I remember when they got back, everybody was boasting about their spring break. And I remember listening to my classmates as girls would walk up and be like, oh, lost my virginity. And, And guys being like, I got plastered every night. And they're like, this is awesome. And inside, I remember feeling so broken over the reality, knowing that their choices were going to create so much pain for them in the long run. See, if you will ask God, he'll help you see the people around you, not just as a physical object, but as a spiritual being that was created by him to know him. And Paul, Paul's overwhelmed by the fact that all their idols that they've created Although they might seem good right now, they're going to, in the long run, they're going to leave these people empty and broken. So he, in response to this, goes into the temple courts or the the synagogue, excuse me, and he goes into the marketplace every day and he starts reasoning with, with people, trying to convince them that God just created them to know him. And after a little while, he gets to this place where he gets invited to this really special meeting, It's called the meeting of the Arapagias. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but it sounds about right. And Paul goes into this meeting and it's a lot like a TED talk. In fact, it says that they would stand around all day and exchange the latest and greatest ideas. So they would just talk about what's important and science and technology and all the things that are coming. I don't know what technology the first century was like, but they'd talk about it. And Paul somehow manages to get invited to be a guest speaker at this meeting. And he leverages it. In fact, he steps up in front of the group and I want us to see what he says. Paul then stood up at this meeting and he said this, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. In fact, you're worshiping right now. You're religious in your approach. And he says, for as I walked around, I looked carefully at all of your objects of worship and I even found an altar with this inscription on it to an unknown God. So here are all these Athenians and they've created every type of idol that they can think of. They've got the sun God, the moon God, the sea God, they've got it all covered. And then at the end of it, just to make sure that there's nothing that's not covered, they have the altar to the unknown God. It's like when you are worshiping something other than God, that thing that you're worshiping doesn't satisfy you. So you have to keep going to try to cover your bases. Hopefully, eventually, maybe you've done this before. You think eventually I'll create something that will solve all my problems so they create the altar to the unknown god. And Paul says, "You're religious and you have this worship and this idolatry, but he says, so in the midst of this, though, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you." He's saying that you 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 have this religious pursuit of God and you have this worship of all these idols, but as a result of your idolatry and as a result of your religion, you are blinded to the very thing that you need. See, there's something so important for us to recognize here. Martin Luther, one of the great theologians in the 16th century, made this statement. He said, the two greatest enemies of the work of God and knowing God in your life and my life are number one, religion, and number two, idolatry. Religion can be any pursuit of man that thinks that somehow by our good deeds, we can repair the gap between us and God. It can be Islam. It can be Christianity as a religion. It can, it can be Buddhism. Any religion that we can create, religion at its core is asking the question, what can I do to get my way back to God? So he says, I see that you're really religious, but what you need to understand is that your religion or your belief that you can earn your way back to God actually can blind you to relationship with God. See, some of us grew up in a home or a family or a tradition that said, if you, if you checked all the boxes, eventually you'd get to God. And then we check all the boxes and we still feel the same way we did before. We're still broken. We still don't have peace. And Paul's saying the the reason you don't is because that's not the way you were designed. It wasn't through religion. And idolatry, on the other hand, is your worship of anything other than your creator. So it doesn't matter how much affection you throw at that girlfriend or how much you you worship that job or how much money you make, you're gonna just keep going and going and going and then there's still that part of you. Try and here, try and there, but it's still empty right here. And Paul says, but the thing that is missing I'm about to make known to you. You want the solution? You want to know why it's not working? Well, here's why, he says. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. Now, buildings are really important. We're so pumped that we have a permanent building for our Sunnyvale campus coming up in just a few weeks. We love buildings because buildings give us a space, a sacred space to connect with God. But how many of you know that when we start to equate God with a building, we're missing the point? God, God's, God can meet with you on your knees next to your bed. He can meet with you while you're walking through the woods playing Pokemon Go. He can, he can meet with you when you are watching a sunset. There's a God that loves you and can meet with you wherever. He's not confined to a physical spe- space. And then he says, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Get this. God did not make you out of a deficit. Did you know that? It's not like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were up in heaven and they're like, man, I just, I need a fourth. Because between us, we can't get all the work done. So if we create somebody to wash our dishes, then that's gonna solve all of our problems. Actually, he created you and me not out of a deficit, but he created us out of delight so that we would know his heart. It's kind of like parents, you know, how many know it takes a really long time to get your kids to do anything? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, I feel like you guys over here, you with me? You guys are, you guys are, wait. All right, okay, just checking, just checking. How about over here? You guys are awake? Good? Okay, good. I know you guys are here, but you know, the, 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 kid, the kid equation around. What the relationship between a parent and a child looks like, you know, I thought it'd be a lot easier to get my kids to obey when we had kids. I just thought, I just thought, because I was dad and what I said would go, and that they would delightfully do whatever I asked them to do. I just, I really did think this when we first had kids, but, you know, it's amazing to me how much work it is to get my kids to do things that, like, are their messes. So we have this playroom in our house, and it's a little bit of a tangent, but, you know, since we're about halfway through this, two-thirds of the way through this sermon, I'll pull you back in with a tangent. So um, we have this playroom in my house. And in the playroom, there's lots of stuff. There's Legos, there's monster creatures, there there's board games. I mean, and you know what happens is they just pull out a toy and then leave it, and they pull out another toy and they leave it. And eventually, it's like it looks like Athens probably looked in the first century, just destroyed. And my kids will fight when we ask them to clean it up because we're like certain there's rats in there and stuff. And we'll have conversations and they'll start arguing about who did what and who put what toys where and then it'll be this long drawn out process so it just gets messier and messier because the emotional drain that it takes to get them to clean it up, it's, I mean it's akin to emotional abuse. I really am sometimes close to calling social services on my kids, that's how bad it gets. As they complain about the fact that we're asking them to clean up their mess. It's crazy to me. I know. I know it's surprising to you too. But, um, but you know what's amazing is when we started this process of having kids, it wasn't like Stacy and I sat down one day and we said, you know, we just need somebody to cut the grass. So let's have some kids. <laughs> it wasn't like we just said, you know, if we could add a couple, then, you know, clean up time after dinner, we'd just go a lot faster right? We we, we didn't have kids because there was a deficit that if we didn't get them on our team, then life was going to be a struggle for us the rest of our lives. Actually, we had kids because we wanted a relationship with those kids. And Paul is saying that God made you and put breath in your lungs so that you would have relationship with him. In fact, he says it like this, for one man who, from one man, he made all the nations. That's important. Because as you look around the room and you look around your campus, there are people from different ethnicities. There are black people and white people and Asian people and South Africans and North Americans. And there are some Mexicans and there are Filipinos. There are all these different people in our church. And God made every single one of us equal in his sight. Can I get a good amen? Amen. And when we come together... We are on level ground before the cross of Jesus, and every one of us is loved and chosen by God. And it brings great delight when he sees all his kids from all these nations coming together to worship him. And it says, from one man, he made us all. And he did this so that we would inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out the appointed time in history and the boundaries of their lands. That means that like, no matter what happens in the elections in the next couple weeks and over the next hundred years in our country, God's going to still be in charge. And every nation, he determined their time. But if you back up a little bit, he knows where you would live and the time you'd live and the address you have and how big your condo, 800 square foot condo would be that you paid a million dollars for. He would know that. He would know every aspect of your life, what car you'd drive, where you'd work, and he did it all intentionally. None of it is an accident. He's the sovereign God of the universe who set humanity and the world into existence at the beginning of time, but he did it for a very specific purpose. And scripture says he did this so that, can I can we say that together? So that. He did it so that you and I would seek him and perhaps Reach out and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. That means that your entire life, God has been trying to get your attention. It's like my kids. We have these little notes that we put inside their lunchboxes, and they say, you're special, you're loved, you're chosen. So that way, on Monday morning, when they open up their, or Monday at lunch, when they open up their lunchbox, and they see that little note, and they're being picked on by a classmate, they know that there's a mom and a dad that loves them, and they are special. Did you know that your whole life God's been slipping notes in your lunchbox? And you thought it was just a sunset that was orchestrated at the right moment, but it was the hand of God so that you would see His glory. And you just thought she sat next to you on the airplane to tell you about the love and grace of Jesus, but it was God that put her right there at that right time. You just thought it was a grandma that just couldn't get enough of praying to Jesus so she just prayed the house down for you and wore her knees out it wasn't just grandma it was god that put that desire in her heart to pray you through and she prayed you through it's amazing to me how often i'm talking to somebody about their journey spiritually and they're exploring faith and they say well there was there was some friend there was some grandma there was some circumstance there was some and it was all it was all god in his sovereignty, working to get that person to the place where they could see and understand that God had created them to know him and experience his heart. So you today, you're here and you're listening to this message online and you're joining us not by accident, but so that God can get your attention so that you can know that he loves you and he created you to experience relationship with him. But that still, that still is not enough because like, you gotta go back to work tomorrow and you gotta deal with your spouse and you gotta, you gotta deal with that situation with your teacher. And you have all these things pressing in against you that oftentimes stand in the way of that pursuit of knowing God. So how do you know God? How do you like do it on Monday morning at 6 a.m. and Wednesday afternoon? And how do you know him personally? Here's what I want to say as we wrap up our time together. We have just a couple minutes. I'm going to breeze through practically how this transpires in our life. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13 says it like this. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Some of us want to know God, but we're not willing to seek God. There's a difference between knowledge and seeking. It's kind of like the guy who wants a girlfriend and then wants to get married. You know, it's amazing to me how men change when they're in pursuit of a wife. It's like we eat, we don't groom, we do what we want to, we have Xbox, we do Cheetos, and, and we'll do ramen noodles, and it just kind of gets bigger, and we don't trim our hair on our ears and our fingernails. And then what happens when a dude finds a girl? All that changes. Fingernails start getting changed. Ears start getting shaved. Start losing weight. Start dressing nicer. Mom starts helping that, ch- that guy dress. And, and they even drive a new car. And it's like all in the pursuit of somebody that they want to be together with. And then what happens when they get married? It just goes the exact opposite direction. <laughs> it's amazing to me. But when you value something, you sacrifice for it. If you value a relationship, you will give up something you love for something you love more, that's, that's discipline, that's sacrifice. It's different than religion. Religion is giving up to try to get to God. Relationship says that because God loved me, then I'm going I'm to serve him and I'm going to pursue him with all of my heart. What are you pursuing with your life right now? What are you giving your passion to? And some of us, I think a part of the reason why we're not pursuing God is because our perception of God. See, your perception of God will determine your pursuit of God. And if you only perceive God as a distant, far-off God that is trying to kill all your joy on Friday night and, and is rooting against the 49ers, if you only see him through a lens that he's always against everything that you are for, you will miss the point and you won't pursue God. But if you and I will change our perspective to see our heavenly father the way that he longs to be seen, it changes that pursuit. Jesus said in John 15, 9, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. He's saying that there, there is this heavenly father that is filled with infinite love for humanity. And that same love he gave to me. And now I want to give that love to you. That's the foundation That's the beginning place of pursuing God. And it starts this process for us. The pursuit of God starts when we understand what it means to receive the love of God into our lives. That's the beginning place. The desire that's in humanity and in your heart was given there by God. That the desire and longing to respond to him starts. We love him because he loves us first. So when we understand the depth of the mer- and the mercy of the love of God that has been pursuing us our entire life, it becomes a matter of receiving the love of God into our lives, structuring our lives, putting it together, living in such a way that the foundation is the love of God in our day-to-day choices in the day-to-day mundane of life. So we receive the love of God. But Jesus makes a statement. He says, and if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and I remain in his love. So there's one part that it's, re- it's, it's responding or receiving the love of Jesus into our lives. But the second aspect of it, after we receive the love of God into our lives, is we have to respond to that love and respond to God's voice that is constantly speaking into our hearts. God has been trying to get our attention and sometimes we listen and sometimes we don't, but we have a whole heap of distractions that stand in the way, don't we? It's like, I think it's amazing to me how notifications on your phone, how many of you turn notifications off and find out that some demon just turned it back on? It's unbelievable to me. Twitter, Facebook, text message, email, it just is this constant bombardment. Sometimes you have to turn it on airport mode so nobody can get a hold of you and the only thing you hear is what you've already downloaded. And it's like that in our relationship with God. Some of us have so many voices clamoring for our attention that God, when he speaks, doesn't speak in a shout. He speaks in a whisper. And when you get still and you slow down, the voice of God wants to speak. But in order to hear the voice of God, you and I have to position ourselves to be in the word of God over and over and over and over again. It always shocks me when I meet followers of Jesus who've been following him for years and never spend time reading through the scriptures and letting God's word saturate their hearts. See, there's this sense in which God is speaking, but you and I have to be listening, and the primary way that he speaks is through his word into our hearts. So the more that you position yourself in the word of God as you read it, as you study it, as you obey it, you start to learn to listen to the voice. So now you're getting notifications, and you're getting messages from people all around you, but you can start to tune your ear to the voice of God in the midst of all the noise. Jesus says, my sheep, learn to listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So he wants you to tune your ear to respond to what he says. The more you respond to his voice, the more you know it, the more you get familiar with it. Some of us have some areas of our lives where God has been telling us there's things he he wants us to do, but we're holding back on him. Some of us, maybe it's a relationship he wants to finish. Some of us is to start trusting him with our generosity. Others of us, it's to get in community. Maybe it's to forgive somebody from your past. But anytime the voice of God is speaking to you and you don't respond, it cuts off the process. It stops the work that God wants to do in your heart. So it comes and then there's this blockage point. Some of us have a blockage today that is standing in the way of us knowing God. And it wasn't a matter of getting more information and knowledge. It was a matter of getting more response to what God's already revealed to you. He reveals truth about himself to us as human beings so that we can respond to that voice. And the more we respond, the more we understand his love. And that leads us to the third place where it's, it's receiving his love, it's responding to his voice. And then finally, it's repeating the process over and over and over and over again. We receive, we respond, we repeat. We receive, we respond, we repeat. The more I do it, I grow in my understanding and my knowledge of God. So if you're new to faith, Or you've been at this thing for 30 plus years, this is the process where God changes our hearts over time. We receive, we respond, we repeat. I wonder if those who are awake will say it with me. We receive, respond, repeat. One more time, like you really mean it, South San Jose, receive, respond, repeat. One more time, receive, respond, repeat. The more we receive, the more we respond, the more we repeat, the more we grow in our knowledge of God. I love how we've created this 21-day journey that can help you in that over the next 21 days to receive, respond, repeat. Receive, respond, repeat. There's a verse of the Bible. There's a prayer. We're going to pray. We're going to seek God. And we're going to give our whole heart to knowing him. And you know what's amazing about all this? Whatever amount of desire that you have and I have to know God pales in comparison to the amount of desire that God has that you would know him. My Son, who's the, o- the oldest of our three kids, we were going through a tough time with him a couple years ago. And I don't know, parents, if you ever struggle with this, but you get stuck in a funk with your children, and so you try whatever you can. You're like, I'm going to take them for cake pops at Starbucks, and then I'm going to get them a cookie at Pete's, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy them some chocolate milk at Phil. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try, I'm going to spend time with them, I'm going to listen to them, I'm going to read them books, I'm going to do whatever I can to try to get back into their heart, and sometimes it just feels like, especially when they're young, it feels like there's not a whole lot of reciprocation. So you're like, you're looking for it, but sometimes it feels like you're not receiving it. You're not getting it. And we're in this space with our kids one time, with our oldest kid, where we're we're trying, we're trying, we're trying, and nothing is happening. And then one day, I walk into my bedroom, and as I walk into my bedroom, I get this note from my son, Cademan. And it says, Dear Dad, can you come into my room and give me a hug and a kiss? I've not seen you all day, and will you please pray for me? Love, Cademan, flip over just in case I didn't know. XO, 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 PS, I prayed for you. That doesn't melt your heart. Oh, and what God spoke to me in my heart in that moment was the response right there was predicated with a whole lot of initiative from his father. It was a whole lot of his father pursuing him and God said to me in that moment I've been pursuing you over and over and over again I've been putting notes in your lunchbox I've been going after your heart all this time so that you would know me and so that you would love me isn't that good news friends he created you to know his heart he's a good good father he wants you to experience his life, his love and his grace and his mercy John chapter 1 verse 12 says it like this for those who receive him. To those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but children who have been born of God. Some of us today are disconnected from God and we haven't been reborn into his family and today can be that day. That we can believe in Jesus and what he's done on a cross in paying for our sins to die the death we should have died In conquering the grave to prove that he was the God of the universe who chose to live in human flesh. Today, he's inviting you to receive that love into your heart. Scripture says in Romans chapter five, verse eight, that God demonstrates his love for the us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means that he's not asking you to get it right before you come to him. Some of us have lived our whole lives trying to make ourselves good enough for god trying to clean ourselves up make our act a little bit better but what god is saying is no 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 i demonstrated my love while you were still in the depths of your sin and brokenness you're not going to get it right that's why i had to die for you that's why i gave up my life so that you could be free so that you could come to me and know me. So there was a a way that was made for broken, sinful human beings to be restored to the heart of a righteous and holy God. And that way was a cross. That way was the death of Jesus Christ himself. And now there's an empty tomb that every time you look into it, every time we declare it, is the hope for our lives that we can know God, that we can experience him and we can journey together. We can receive, respond, repeat receive respond repeat all the way to the day when we cross from this life to the next and we stand in his presence for all of eternity and know him as he longs to be known will you stand with me as we sing this song in just a moment there are some of you that your response today that God is asking of you is to respond by going public with your faith in Jesus to be baptized you haven't taken that step well we're ready for you We've got some folks in the back if you guys can wave your hands we have some towels and shirts and shorts and everything you need to go public with your faith in jesus and we want to celebrate that so as we sing this next song we invite you to go to the back others of you today god's calling you he's inviting you into his heart to know him personally and it's a matter of saying god i need you i want to trust in you so will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me if that's you today just tell him say jesus i need you I wanna know you personally. I wanna surrender and yield my life to you in this moment. And as you do, he'll step in. I ask for your forgiveness. I thank you that you died in my place and that you conquered the grave. Thank you for new life. I give you my heart now in this moment. And as you do, God steps in to change you. Some of you are making that decision today to yield your life to Christ. Can we put our hands together for those who are trusting in Christ? Father, today as we we sing this song about you being a good, good Father, for all of us, we thank you that you want us to know you, to experience your love. So I pray today that you would open our eyes to know you as a good, good Father, to experience that love in a real, personal way. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.